And as we were getting off the stage, there was like a picket, there was like a chain link fence probably 25 yards behind the stage. And there's this dude screaming at us, like at the band, you know, you guys didn't say Jesus once from stage. You're da da da. And just basically damning us to hell using that word. Like, you know, da da da. You're going, you know, you're taking people to hell. I'm Joshua S. Porter, and my book, Death to Deconstruction, is out now. As an accompaniment to the book, I am spending a few weeks having conversations with people who have every reason not to be a Christian anymore, but are, and I'm going to ask them why. Before we get into this week's conversation, there's a few favors I'd like to ask. If you haven't already, consider buying a copy of my book, Death to Deconstruction, or buying a copy for a friend that you think might like to read it. Tell other people about the book by posting about it on social media and having conversations with people who might be interested. Leave the book a good review on Amazon.com. Some of you hearing this are thinking, oh, he doesn't need my review. But yes, I really do. It really actually helps. Follow along with the Death to Deconstruction podcast and leave it a good review on the Apple Podcast app. And then finally, follow my social media outlets for updates and news about more writing, more events, more conversations. All of that stuff is at joshuasporter.com. And we are hosting a Q&A episode of the podcast later on in this mini-series. If you'd like to ask a question, go to joshuasporter.com slash question and let us know what's on your mind. So here's a story from sometime around 2001 or 2002. You ready for this? I was uh, playing in a band somewhere in the further reaches of swampy Savannah, Georgia. I got yeah. off stage now uh, and then started having a conversation with a young band that had been recently signed to a record label called Tooth and Nail Records. And that band was called Element 101. Now, my band desperately wanted to be signed to Tooth and Nail Records as well. Uh, but this young band, Element 101, had had a bad go of things. They said, stay away. They said, don't do that. Do something else. <laughs> they dissuaded us from the conversation. We said, wow. We says to ourselves, we says, we had no idea it was so hard out there in the music industry. We walked away discouraged. That same night, moments later, actually, a friend of ours that was in the band, we all went our separate ways to go back home. We were playing locally. A phone call comes from someone else in the band that says, I just got off the phone with a guy named Stephen Christian. And we all said, who the heck is Stephen Christian? And he said, <laughs> <laughs> he said, do you remember that band, uh, Sago 24-7? And we, <laughs> and we did. We did remember this band because it was... No way! They were uh, relatively nearby, right? And this was a punk band that if I... I want to say reminded me of the time... It was kind of like No Use for a Name... Or a little more uh, ear-friendly, no effects kind of fat records, super fast, very melodic. Is that is that fair or accurate? Yeah, yeah, fair, fair, very fair. Yeah, very fair. So Sago Twenty Four, and, and now I'm realizing I've not said it out loud in many, many years. Is that how you would say the name of that band? It's not, but it doesn't matter. It was the most pathetic band of all time. <laughs> so you know what? Say what you could just you, you know. How did you, you say? Could, it? You could say how. Uh, you know, really poorly, we said it Saga. You know what I'm saying? S-A-G-O-H, Saga, 24-7. That but, makes more sense. But, you know, but, but all the time, we'd, they'd be like, eh, next up, we have Sago. <laughs> so, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. The O-Neaters. Yeah, it's a, and the it was an acronym anyway, so I guess it's not like a, yes, a you're right. one way to pronounce it. You're right. So anyway, I did re- we did remember that band. I don't remember if we had been like nearby one another we had friends that knew your friends but i was we were aware of that band and we had like a demo of it somewhere and like oh right that punk band and uh so our friend says to us yeah well this guy that was in that band made a new band and his band signed to tooth and nail records and then basically the rest of that conversation was the opposite of the first conversation we had had this guy was elsewhere in the world on the other side of the country and the story that I was told, I don't know how accurate this is. You can, you can tell me where it deviates <laughs> from the truth. The story I was told was that your band was in the studio out in Seattle, I want to say, or, or were working on uh, what would become your Tooth and Nail release and had begun to pilfer through um, demo submissions or something like that at Tooth and Nail Records and had somehow stumbled upon something from the band that I was in. 
and then and actually contacted a person from this band and were and were deeply complimentary oh you you had said that you liked the band or thought that it showed potential and were interested in the band um and we couldn't believe it we couldn't believe that someone had gone through so much trouble to be so kind uh and reach out and and like i said we had deeply wanted to be signed to this record label and that was the first time i heard about a guy called Stephen christian and your band i don't even think the record was out yet or anything like that um so it was the first time i had heard about your subsequent band you know a little known follow-up to the more popular uh saga 24 7 you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah dude that's awesome i can't believe you guys remember that so what happened was you know, we were. We were recording our first record with Tooth & Nail Records, and um, we uh, we were up in Seattle, Washington, recording with Aaron Sprinkle. Well, you know, in the Tooth & Nail offices, because I would hang out there all the time, you know, just, I, I love those people. I was, I, I was just like you, I was fascinated by, like, everything from, like, t-shirt sales to, like, printing of tour posters, getting to know the A&Rs, you know, just what the crap did we just get ourselves into? Well, I, over in the, um, where they do all the shipping, it was kind of a garage looking area of Tooth & Nail. There was like three UPS or, or, you know, US mail bins, like baskets full of CDs. And I was like, what are these? And they're like, oh no, those are just submissions. You do not want it. You just, just leave them there. They just sit there, they'll die. Somebody will throw them out someday. And I was like, well, can I listen to them? And like, and they're like, I guess, yeah, you could probably just have them. I mean, let me ask. So, <laughs> so they gave me three bins of CDs, and I was like, and in my head, I'm like, dude, we're a brand new band. There's got to be some other people in here. You know what I'm saying? There's just got to be. And so I listened. I mean, I was very diligent because I felt so bad for all these poor schmucks that actually <laughs> submitted to a record. And I, I had, a, I had like a, back back in that day, we had a CD player, and so I had a CD player, and I would listen to them just like frantically. And honestly, man, there was like two bands out of that whole pile, which so they were Tooth and Nail's pretty pretty accurate in the fact that they were just like, don't do it. It was there was some real bad stuff. Two bands that I was like, oh my gosh, and one of them was from Australia or New Zealand, and they're called like hammerhead sharks or that or hammerheads or something to that effect some shark analogy and then this band from georgia um and so i reached out i was just like man you know and talking to them whoever gave me you know because because usually people would leave their phone number yeah. and their name and you know a, a sob story about how they want to be on tooth and nail records so bad i did end up throwing all those cds away except for the two that i found the two that I, and i've i kept them there they're somewhere in my attic still to this day because i was like this is so cool um but yeah i called and we actually had a great experience with tooth and nail tooth and nail was 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 treated us great from day one now your other friend in that other band was correct about their contract i think that early on and brandon has said this before to many people he had taken from like sparrow records or word records or some other christian label he had basically stolen their contract photocopied it with a tooth and nail logo over it and submit it and that's what he you know so he was signing really crappy deals with mxpx and blenderhead and uh dash uh, just a bunch of real garbage you know and then finally somebody was just like you can't do this man these are these are horrible contracts and so like ludicrous try you know like um you know they were trying to talk us out of, of do not sign don't sign with tooth and nail and i was like are you kidding this deal looks so good now i'm no lawyer but uh <laughs> but uh it turned out brandon brandon for whatever reason was just like no i think i should i should start treating people a little nicer and so I, maybe we're on the front end of that but um it wasn't what i'm saying is it wasn't horrible i mean sure yeah. there's a lot of areas that that we were very naive about like publishing and and, sure. and we had a we had to put out which long story but they had an a and r there that kind of promised me over the phone that if we put out lost songs we wouldn't have to put out a greatest hits record because i just did not want to put out a greatest hits and and that guy was like i don't remember saying that so we had to put out a greatest <laughs> hits record but he sounded like a muppet um, apparently yeah yeah he did it just sounded just like that i don't <laughs> even remember that so um so yeah I mean, we have, you know everybody has qualms with every label there's not going to sure. be a perfect label in this you go start it yourself and, and give yourself a great deal so but um but our experience was awesome and yeah I, I i do remember i do remember sifting through those bins uh on the uh on aaron sprinkles in aaron sprinkles basement 
that's where I uh, that's where I soared through. And we we wouldn't have been dissuaded by these other people. You know, it's almost like somebody coming up to you, and, I, and they might as well have said, "Winning the lottery is not all it's cracked up to be. If you win, <laughs> don't even accept the winning." You know what I mean? We're like, "Oh, interesting." <laughs> yeah, food yeah, for yeah. thought. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Food for thought. Thank you. No. Yeah, thank you. We re- we really wanted to be on to the now, and it was just like uh, one of the most bizarre intersections of two events that that phone call came in actually moments after that other conversation um but that would not be the last time that i had a conversation with you about music and tooth and nail records and all that i remember vividly i wish i remember what city it was but i remember we had played uh my band was traveling we were on tour we had not yet signed to tooth and nail records but your band was active and doing things and we had begun to have conversations with people at Tooth and Nail, I, honestly, uh, because of that initial thing that you brought up. That, that was the first time we ever made contact with anyone. And it's funny that um, Chad Johnson, who was our A&R for, uh, throughout our tenure at Tooth and Nail, um, the story that he told us was that you had, you know, like you had shared this stuff with people at the label and were interested in it. And we had sent, I think we sent subsequent stuff. Like we're like, oh, that's old at, at this point. So let us send some more stuff. And we sent like a VHS tape of us playing and, <laughs> and you know, more yes. demos. And I, I heard yep. chat that Chad had said something like, uh, this is, seems fake. It seems like they can't possibly be actually playing instruments if they're flopping around like that or some, something like that. So he wasn't convinced or he was, you know, understandably skeptical of the whole thing. But we had further conversations and eventually they saw us play. And um, I remember playing somewhere far away from home and walking outside. It was the fall and I was walking around the kind of parking lot of this venue having a conversation with you on the phone. It was the first time I'd ever talked with you. Um, I don't think that we had officially met, but maybe we had at a festival or something like that. But um and we were, you know, trading stories about, or you were telling me about the record label. And at this point, you, you know, you, you guys had waited out in there and had experience and were saying, oh, it's, it's like this. And um, it can actually be really great. I'd encourage you to try, you know, dispelling a lot of the, the cynicism that we had heard from other bands. And that was the first conversation that uh, I ever had with you about um, the idea of being Christians in a band. I actually remember it really specifically. Uh, because you just asked me, I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sort of paraphrasing, but you asked me like, okay, so, you know, like the, there's this um, idea in the public consciousness of Tooth and Nail Records as a Christian band, and it, to some extent it is whatever that, or a Christian label, and to some extent it is whatever that means. They have, you know, they sell CDs in Christian bookstores or something, however you want to describe that strange phenomenon. And you're like, well, what, what are you guys like? What do you think about that? What's your story? And I remember telling you, like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I follow Jesus. The people in the band feel the same way. And you're like, okay, me too. And um, I, we traded a few brief ideas about, like, it's, isn't it weird? And Christians in a band, a Christian band, what does it mean? But I think maybe it was more like, uh, what, on what level are we having these conversations? Are you just guys, like, aspiring to do some career thing and that's it? Do, what are you putting in these songs? And almost like a, do you believe stuff? And I was like, yeah, I believe stuff. And you're like, okay, yeah, me too. (laughs) You know? Um, Now, a million years go by in between that phone call and now. uh, And we've interacted here and there over the years. Eventually, um, you know, we briefly toured together, my band and your band. And we would see each other at kind of the big events like festivals. And um, or I'd run into you if I'd come into your city for a second or something like that. In fact... This is, I was uh, most excited to tell this story, even though it doesn't have a huge bearing on this conversation. This is a true story. I was visiting Israel, the only time in my life I've ever been to Israel. And uh, I was with like a tour group and everything and was heading into Capernaum to see uh, (laughs) what is traditionally held to be the site of Peter's house, you know. And uh, I look up as I'm walking in and see Stephen Christian walking out. And I did a double take and actually just yelled out, David! <laughs> and then he spins around, sees me, and there's this kind of wild, uh, bizarre moment of screaming. Not because, not even because we were just so excited to see each other, but because of how bizarre 
of a place it Bizarre. was to run into each other. Oh, it was that hilarious. That is crazy. And that it, is, yeah. That, it, everyone in my group was like, what the heck is going on? This guy sees someone he knows here? Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, man. That was like five years ago. And just, you know, because we hadn't seen each other for years. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, my God. It was, you know, and it took me a second because I'm like, because you're just like, who do I know in Israel? Yep. Like, who yep. would there be in Israel, you know? So, dude, that's. That's pretty crazy. Oh man, um, that, that was that you, dude. Those are some good memories. That's that's a great walk down memory lane. Two things that I that I remember is, you know, taking Chad to go see your show at Cornerstone. Yeah. Like that's when he was like finally like I'm signing these guys. That was awesome. And then uh, I remember you did a video one time, and you're just like it, it was. I mean, I guess online it was some video, and you're just like. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, our the Tooth and Nail said that we would be so massive if only Stephen Christian would write all our songs or something like that. <laughs> it was just like, that was really good. I don't even remember I saw that. That was just a random video posted online somewhere. But you were just making a spoof of yourself and Tooth and Nail and all of it. Yes, yes. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize when I tell people now, I think every now and then someone will say because the world of music I, I wouldn't even presume to know what it's like but people ask you know oh how do you find success in the music or what's it like to be signed to a label it's like, I don't know anymore I know what it was like a very long time ago um, and they ask what that experience was like and I started to tell them stories I'm like okay so then there was this gentleman his name's Stephen Christian he was, he's in a band called Amberlynn and they're like what that guy I'm like yeah that guy he actually brought someone from his record label to watch us play I, I remember turning around after that set and seeing you and not just Chad, but Brandon Ebel was there as well. It was almost like a, you know, Saved by the Bell, the, you know, the guy's jogging by and here's the Zack Attack playing in the garage. And it's like, oh my gosh, you guys sound incredible. I want to sign you. Um, it was like a fairy tale moment. And I was like, okay, so this guy found our CD. I had a conversation with him on the phone. He drags these people to see us play. <laughs> and like, they're like, really? The guy from Ann Berlin? I'm like, I'm telling you, yeah, believe it or not. He was the, <laughs> he was the, uh, the secret to our success or the secret to our signing. Um, That's funny, man. I, you know, I, I, I didn't remember being such a good guy back in the day. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've changed so much. <laughs> made a joke together through text a, a while back that um, kind of sums up that era for me, or at least a lot of that era, which is if I ever run into someone that I used to know, you know, um, Showbread briefly united to play a festival a year ago, and I'm seeing all these people that we toured with, I mean, in some cases, you know, 20 years ago or close to 20 years ago, and I assume, maybe cynically, but probably accurately, uh, well, this person thought this thing when I knew them. I doubt they think it anymore. That's usually the, the case, is that these young bands were coming up in often kind of a youth group culture of finding music, finding indie music or punk rock or whatever it was, um, and were being encouraged to, like, you can do it, you should do this. And they were, in many cases, kind of, forging themselves as youth group bands that was the case with showbread where we actually played in our church and then would go play quote-unquote real shows before um make you know marching out into the world to go on tour and so a lot of them were coming from church culture evangelical culture 
and we're going out kind of assuming that that was what one does when you come from that culture. You call yourself a Christian band, you sing certain kinds of songs, and, uh, and they were having to test those uh, beliefs that they thought that they had or that they had inherited in, in, out in the world on their own, as is the case with anyone who kind of grows and matures and whatever it is they think. And then all these years go by, and um, I think that I can't remember. I bothered you by uh, via text one day because I happened to think of something that reminded me of you. And I asked what you were up to, and you told me that you were a pastor at a church. And I said, hey, I'm a pastor at a church too. And I made a joke that was something to the extent of like, hey, we're both, we're both still Christian. Look at that. And, uh, and, and <laughs> I think that your punchline was something like, hey, we made it. The only two <laughs> on to the nail. <laughs> so yeah. what... What has that been like uh, for you? You're now you're doing this thing where you still make music. You, so you still have a foot in the world, but it's different. You know, you're older. You got a family, as is the case with most of us. And you're, but you're a pastor now. You work at a church. Um, did you kind of watch that thing unfold before your eyes? Uh, as in, like, oh, it, there were a bunch of us that claimed to think something, and then they kind of fell away one by one. Or was it more like? You know, you step back into the world from time to time and realize, like, man, this isn't the things change. Things have changed. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for me, I make mistakes every day. You know, I mean, I know that goes without saying, but I just want to make sure that people don't perceive me as any type of perfect, perfect Christian. And when I'm, I've got it all figured out, I don't. And I definitely want to say during the band years. You know, I made great mistakes as well. And but here's the the deal is like I was very self-conscious and went very I went to very great lengths to be uh, self-aware and self and just honest with myself that I was in the world and but not of the world. And I know that sounds Christianese, but I'm saying that we were traveling with bands that were not Christians. Yeah. And but I chose Christianity and, and, and for the entire time. So it was after uh, Blueprints for the Black Market came out, uh, we were, you know, uh, uh, you know, to quote unquote, just a buzz band, however you want to phrase that. We Which were was on the, the first, rise or whatever. The first Anne Berlin record. Yeah, the first Anne Berlin. After the first one, we were recording the second and we were just about to head on tour. And by this point, we were completely in the general market. You know, we're not even entertaining, you know, Christian festivals or Christian shows or anything like that. And... Um, I remember calling my friend Seth Kane, and he's a he's a pastor now in Oviedo, Florida. And I called him, and I just said, "Hey, man, I'm I'm looking at these people called girls, and I'm not I'm not going to be able to to hang. You know, I'm like I, I just I I'm staring my future in the and it's just you know in the in the face, and it's just not looking healthy. If you don't get out here, like I don't I'm not going to make it. Like I I will completely fall. And um, he said okay, and at first he started um, he started working, you know, just just hanging out. Basically, we didn't have a tour manager at the time; we weren't in a bus yet or anything like that. We were still in a van, and the guys all liked him and got along with him, and and so he just basically became my accountability partner on the road. And then he became our tour manager the next tour, and for for the next five and a half years. He held my hand because I that's what I needed, man. I just needed somebody to be there. And and, and obviously he had he was great at his job. You know, he would, you know, do what a TM would do, book you know, hotel rooms and order bus drivers around and all that garbage. But I just knew that I wasn't gonna get a, get away with crap. You know, I wasn't gonna be like off the bus at two AM and he was just gonna be like, Oh well, you know, he was gonna be hunting me down. You know what I'm saying? There was there was yeah. and then and then from there, you know, uh that was, you know, he, he um, around 2007, I met my wife and I married her in 2008. And so obviously there's some, uh, some big accountability that comes with that as well. And so between Seth and Julia, man, I, I, I mean, I owe them sitting right here in this church being a pastor, you know, like that is a huge deal. And so um, I can't say like, oh, I did it all on my own or I'm so great or look at me. No, I'm going to tell you like I am a screw up and the only reason that I feel like anywhere, you know, that I'm, I am where I am uh, mentally or, uh, you know, of any type of character that I possess is because of the accountability that I had with, with my wife and with my, with my tour manager, Seth Kane. Yeah. Yeah. That's a recurring motif in the conversations that I'm having with people about um, deconstruction and deconversion is the community, community aspect 
the vulnerability and accountability that comes from some level of shared life with someone else that's uh, following Jesus as well. You know, following Jesus doesn't happen in a vacuum or in isolation. And uh, it's interesting that the, you know, the idea of sharing life with somebody else and understanding that everybody's perfect. I'm, I'm sure that you're, your guy Seth um, would obviously sit here and also say, "Oh no, I'm not a perfect person either." And I was just grew up doing. And maybe he would say that you uh, served as that same level of accountability and vulnerability for him as well. You, you know, he you he knew that you were expecting something from him, and so he had a certain standard to which he would hold himself, and that you would hold him. Yeah. As well. Yep. Is that one of the reasons that you think that you uh, have not given up on the idea of church? I mean, you're you're clearly a believer. You're you're in church right now as I'm talking to you. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it goes well beyond accountability. I mean, it just goes to like um, my relationship with the Holy Spirit and just. I mean, I you know, I was I got I believe started to believe in Jesus Christ when I was 18. And it was just so transformational for me. Like I, you know, it just, it, it, you know, I can't, at this point, I can't deny, you know, in my head, you know, I, we could go on to a theological tangent about like, you know, you know, if you don't know the name of Jesus Christ, you're living in a tribe in the middle of, you know, name the Amazon forest, you know, when you get to heaven, are you, are you going to, he- you know, but for me, it's to who much is given, much is required. And I have been given so much by God. Like, I just cannot deny the existence of, of a maker and so it goes far beyond like human accountability i think it goes to just the hope that i feel um you know i meditate and so so for me i feel the presence of the holy spirit and and you know and somebody could go well it's just not a feeling and i you know and i and i can totally see that but i also see the evidence in my life i see a peace that passes all understanding i know when i'm not right with god it just feels like life is crumbling all around me you know, and, and it just, it feels off. And so it's beyond hope. It's beyond, it's beyond purpose for me, but it's, it's just, it's just a, a self-realization that there is something greater than me. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I was listening to a podcast the other day and this, um, this guy who was talking about the cosmos and how mathematically correct it was and all this from golden ratio to all these things. But he couldn't say the word God. He, could just, he just kept saying a cosmic AI built us. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, when he's trying, you know, and, and I understand his point. He was just saying God is a very loaded terminology or I would use that word. But I was just like, I know that it exists. And I have deemed, you know, like I believe that that God, that cosmic AI <laughs> sent Jesus Christ uh, to earth and I, and just overwhelming, you know, evidence for me, you know, you know what I'm saying in my life. Um, yeah. And so I think it's deeper than the relationships that I formed. When I look back and I see the people that kind of, you know, we were kind of both joking. I'm, I'm definitely joking about there's only two of us because I know yes, I know many more. Hyperbolic and funny. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But when I do look back and I'm, and this is a very big swath, so please, I'm not, you know, I, I understand that this is very, it feels cold. But when I look at the people that kind of fell away, to me, it was, a you know, there was a justification that needed to occur to allow immoral behavior. Therefore, God did not exist. It wasn't vice versa. It wasn't, I've really sought this out. And theologically and spiritually and in my soul and spirit, I believe there is no God. Therefore, my action, now I'm a nihilist or whatever they want to deem themselves. And now my actions will, will, will you know, like mirror, you know, my new beliefs. And so I just watched as morals decayed and, and people wanted to live with their girlfriend and, and wanted to experiment with this drug and that drug and, and no judgment. It was just kind of like, that's fine, but please don't demean or you know dismiss the existence of God by your decisions. Dismiss the God because you don't have enough evidence or you know your your head your heart hasn't connected with what your head tells it. Or I mean, there's many different reasons. Or yeah. you know, you know uh, that that one could perceivably justify. You know, I, you know the the. You know, my mom and dad died in a tragic accident. If God is so good, then what? Is, then why does evil exist? There's so many things that, but it never, to me, not, not never, that's a superlative. It felt like on the outside, just watching as people just faded away into immorality or justification to whatever they were just contributing, you know, you know, doing, and then suddenly, screw God, he yes. doesn't exist. F him, yes. he's never been alive, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it was just like, man, just, just be real, just be honest. Just say, I don't know, man, for me and my 
this period of time I'm agnostic. I, I'm on my own journey. I'm, I'm on my own path. I'm following my own truth. And at least that, that's easier to handle than there is definitely no God because my girlfriend is so hot when she's naked. It just doesn't, just doesn't. Yes, compete. I agree. I think, you know, the self-denial is the least marketable teaching of Jesus. And uh, it's, it's easier to inflate uh, reasonable qualms that one has with like, oh, the scriptures or theological questions that one with which one is wrestling then to admit like I don't want to deny myself I, I would very much prefer to do what I would like to do and if I want to follow Jesus I mean it's his prerequisite he says that I have to deny myself to just to begin to follow him in the first place and that's not a great sales pitch so I'd prefer not to do that um, but that sounds uh, selfish and it sounds simplistic so I think we often myself included you know in, in my own stages or journey of wrestling theologically or trying to figure out how to follow Jesus well, I don't think that I would ever have had the, you know, integrity to say, I just don't, I don't want to deny myself. I'd, I'd prefer to find some excuse to do the things that I want to do, be they theological or moral or, you know, like a, someone hurt me, someone in the church hurt me, you know, like, um, but I think we, we kind of do it subconsciously too, you know, the, the whole few people come out and say uh i was hurt by the church and i'm mad but i don't want to do it anymore you know we, we kind of dress it up philosophically and, and 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 intellectually um or we embellish kind of peripheral things that aren't the main thing did you ever during that period so that you're describing like a, a really long stretch of time you're traveling there's there's a long gap between you know the first record comes out and you are professional full-time musician you travel all the time you're playing music eventually you're going to become pastor at a church and that's going to become your new rhythm of life while you still continue to do these other things um did you have uh those or i guess i shouldn't say did you but what were your seasons of wrestling and or doubt or you know being on the precipice of i i actually identify with what you're saying that for me um my moments of, uh, you know, deconversion moments, like, uh, where I'm standing on a precipice and being like, I, I could not continue to do this if I didn't want to continue to do this. Lots of people don't. To me, they were never like, I don't believe God exists anymore, or I doubt the integrity of the teachings of Jesus. Those things were always deeply connected for me. Um, but there were other reasons, you know, that I wrestled. Did you have what were, did you have these moments and seasons where you would surely you saw a lot of crap? Um, and I know that you admitted that you're, you're obviously imperfect yourself, but you operated even as like a general market band um, on tooth. You were on tooth the nail records. You probably were around a lot of people who claimed to follow Jesus and uh, and did things that lacked integrity. Did you ever feel that, like, man, this is so stupid. I don't know if I want to be a part of this. A part of Christianity or part of the Christian scene? Which one? I yeah, maybe maybe what I mean is more like the scene. Did you ever feel that need to be like, maybe I'll be a new kind of Christian? You know, that's the popular thing. It's yeah. like, I don't want to do church. Oh, I yeah. don't want to do evangelicalism. But I'll just say I'm a Christian and kind of redecorate Jesus for my own purposes. Yeah, I, I never redecorated in the fact like I didn't theologically dress him up to to be a universalist or anything like that. But I definitely, I just, I mean, I definitely detached from the church as a whole. You know, like I, you know, there was a stretch of years where my wife and I didn't go to church. We would try to go as much as we could, you know, but honestly, my church came in the form of podcasts. You know, I was big into uh, Erwin McManus, still am, still love him very much. And um, so when we, when I was living in LA, we'd go to the Irwin McManus Church Mosaic as much as we could. Um, and then uh, there was a time in Nashville where we went to the Village Chapel with this incredible pastor named Jim Thomas. Um, but it was a it was a smaller church as far as you know it wasn't like a mega church. And so it was like it was awesome. Like they had a few musicians, like acoustic guitarists. And they would sit down. You couldn't see them. And uh, they'd play a lot of hymns and stuff like that. It, it was great. Um, but we, again, we're, it wasn't like a steady, it could never be a steady thing because we were on the road seven to nine months a year straight. You know, we'd be gone for two months, come home for three weeks, be gone for a month, be home for two weeks, right. you know what I'm saying, stuff like that. So there was never any consistency as far as attending a church. I mean, early on, 
man, early on we were out of the Christian scene. I just, you know, I think for me going to the, the, the Dove Awards and the CMAs right away or Christian music, some gap GMAs or something like that, some, some, and like we walked around and it was gnarly, Josh. Like it just felt like, oh my gosh, like these people are selling Jesus. Like, you know, you know the t-shirts, like yeah. the, you know, do the Jew and, uh, you know, all these like catchy Jesus slogans. And we just felt so, I, you know, I never, I never saw that growing up. I, you know, we were a very small town, Winter Haven, Florida. Didn't get it, didn't go to a lot of, there wasn't big festivals like there are today, especially Christian festivals and stuff like that. So was not exposed to all that, you know, and the whole thing just felt like a giant ploy. And I couldn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I just replace the word baby with Jesus, then it's suddenly like, oh, you know, it's got new life, you know, and, and we just like, and, and, and I don't want, I'm not going to judge where the other guys are in the band as far as Jesus is concerned, but they, you know, but they definitely were not raised in, in the church and didn't understand Christianese and everybody just felt very uncomfortable, you know, though, you know, and it just, and, and um, just some stuff behind the scenes with some of the radio people. It was just super shady and coming from like a very sheltered background. It was just like, it just felt like you're no better than what my pastor warned me about right. all these years, you know? And so, um, and it, I don't know if it's true. So I just want to say that, that I'm going to invalidate my next statement, but I've heard again, may not be true that the most pornography consumption and alcohol consumption in Nashville is w during that week of the Christian and, and whatever, I, I'm, I am going to point fingers, not point fingers, but I am going to say, please don't watch porn. I'm not talking about drinking, you know what I'm saying? That's you and Jesus need to figure that one out. But, um, but I, but it just kind of was just like, ah, oh, it just feels a little gross. You know what I'm saying? It just yeah. feels, and it, and even if that statement is not true, it still is kind of like, ah, you know, like, there, there's always truth in the sarcasm, you know, even if it was a sarcastic statement, it started there. Um, well, it but just, it wouldn't surprise it just, you says something as well. No, no. And it's just, so the whole thing just felt shady, you know, constant shady. And so that was a negative experience. And so right after that, we called our manager and we're like, do not ever book us with another Christian tour, blah, 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 all this stuff. And wow. so we just got a real bad taste. Now I will say fast forward and I got a chance to move to Nashville and meet a lot of incredible Christian artists. Jordan Feliz is real. Mike Donahue from 10th Avenue North, that dude is real. I mean, so there are there are quality, Maddie Mullins, oh, there's some quality, quality people out there that I've met since. So I'm not trying to gloss over the whole thing and just be like, oh, Christian artists suck. I'm not, I, I know the truth now. But at the time it set our trajectory the other way. And um, so a few years in, we decided, oh, okay, we'll play a few Christian festivals here and there. And even that, after a while, some of the guys in the band who um, were not, I don't know how to say this properly, were not uh, walking with God or, or didn't choose that path that I was on, they began to feel like, hey, it feels very shady for us to play festival, Christian festivals because we can't get behind what they're saying on stage. You know, and I was, and I had to respect that. I was like, okay, you know what? Like, um, I'm fine with that. And, and we, and there was a little bit, I, they were playing it because as you know, Christian festivals play, pay triple yeah. to what general market festivals pay. So they were playing those Christian mar festivals for that reason. And I was playing it cause I just didn't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, they're Christians, not Christians. Sure. It's a festival. I, I'll play it. Yeah. You know, Buddhists, Hindus, anybody. I'll just play in front of anybody. Don't care. Um, but so just didn't bother me at all, but they just kind of felt like, you know, and I could see that, like if there was a political rally or, you know, that's a very, this is a very charged statement, but there's a political rally for somebody that I didn't see eye to eye with, I could see how it'd be like a little bit like, ah, I'm yeah. patting them on the back. I'm giving them my support when in all true reality behind the scenes, I don't feel that same way. So I feel like that's how they started to feel. And so we've been very, very careful. And there's, and you know, we've, we've since played a few Christian festivals, even after we made that decision, but it was more kind of like, guys, I've really always wanted to play this or, you know, it's just fun or it's on the way, you know, it's sure. more out of convenience as opposed to like, let's make this a regular mainstay in our paychecks, yeah. you know, cause that just feels shady. And I, I truly respected them because you know, like you would think that most people would be like, ah, money's green. I don't care what, you know, what, whatever they're going to profess. But I really appreciated their integrity to say, hey, this is just not something that we would choose to do if, you know, if we, you know, if we've given the option, can we go play, you know, Coachella or 
Jesus is the best fest, you know, 2023, we're probably going to, you know, pick Coachella. Yeah. But if Jesus is the best fest is, is not an actual festival yet, it should be. Should I that. just came up with that. Uh, that is, no, I'm about to, I'm about to LLC that real fast. <laughs> When, during that period where you're, you know, figuring out where you fit as like a vocational musician, you, you're a band that has like a, a vision and stuff that you want to do. And because of the label that you're on, uh, that's a door that's open to you to a certain extent. You know, the Christian festivals, I'm assuming they'll call or they'll, they'll, they'll have you. They'd probably be happy. They'd be thrilled to have you guys. And you're making decisions to, um, you know, embed yourself in the general market and um, the nature of your band, you know, has artistic integrity. So it's not necessarily like uh, or it's just not it's not like one of the most overt. It's not a Christian radio band in the first place. It's a it's a, an ordinary, you know, rock band. Uh, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I just mean that uh, there's no um, there's no aesthetic obligation to keep up appearances as like, well, you know, we have all the, we have this song called Jesus is the best fest. So we should probably go play at Jesus is the best fest. Um, did you feel like that was in a way something that, uh, protected you from the inevitable cynicism that comes with so many bands that do participate in the industry in a meaningful way, or that are actually, you know, like, uh, uh, I, you know, our band had was, cleft in twain you know we did like the one night would be at a normal theater or bar and the next night would be at a church and um and i was it was you know deeply um i'll admit prideful arrogant i thought that i was smarter than everybody so i would i was very deeply cynical about um the kind of evangelical culture in which our band was willingly participating i'd go into these places play youth groups and felt like i was trying to achieve something with artistic integrity and felt like it was getting lamed up or censored or kind of diluted um, by the expectations which felt to me illegitimate of other you know christians who are like oh does it i don't know you know insert silly argument does it have to have a skull on it that kind of thing um and that's my fault not theirs but it did contribute to a lot of my wrestling with the idea of like, oh my gosh, is the institution of church itself inherently flawed or is there something bad about this entire like Western organized Christianity? Like uh, these were all my kind of angsty adolescent uh, Christian questions that I think honestly, and you know, I'm, this is obviously pure conjecture, but I wonder if I had been, we had been one of a band like yours. It was just like, ah, let's just go over here and do this thing. And we'll still say that whatever it is that we want to say, regardless of what, what it is. Um, but you know, then we'll just avoid all this mess on this other side of the street, uh, that maybe the cynicism wouldn't have been as oppressive. Uh, did, did you feel like get, you got to skip over some of that lameness? Uh, you know, at first we did not. I mean, we were deep, deeply entrenched. Every single interview, every, I mean, for the first like six years was just like, where did you get the name of the band and are you a Christian band? And I was like, my gosh, you know, like <laughs> I'm just, but, you know, honestly, you know, and, and, and they're, you know, it, they got really bad at some points, you know, like um, we played a festival in San Diego and, and you got to keep in mind that like all my tour, I mean, I saw all my touring party, merch guys, TM by by the second half of the kind of the stage of the band, you know, um, you know, from cities on, the TM, uh, even our manager, our 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 booking agent, our lawyer, no one was Christians, right? You know, and so 
we were playing this we were playing a festival in san diego and it was like a worship band and then us and then right after we came on was like the speaker who was going to give the salvation message oh wow and and as we were getting off the stage there was like a picket there was like a chain link fence probably 25 yards behind the stage and there's this dude screaming at us like at the band you know you guys didn't say Jesus once from stage. You're da da da, and just basically damning us to hell using that word, like you know da da da. You're you're going, you know, you're taking people to hell. And dude, I sprinted to the fence trying to get over that, swinging at him, trying to like punch him. And my tour manager, not a Christian, is pulling me by the pants, trying to yank me down off the fence because I'm pissed. I'm irate. Just couldn't believe like how. We're playing a Christian festival, man. There's a worship team and a guest speaker. What else do you want? Like, do you think that because I didn't say like the five letters, like that suddenly Jesus can't move or the Holy Spirit needs me? Like, it was beyond me. And so, and there was other times we went to another festival and this guy was like just ragging on Katy Perry. And I got up there and I was like, <laughs> dude. I don't know who that last guy was, but that was garbage. Whatever you that guy just said is is complete nonsense. We are not supposed to be judged, but we are. Well, I was then I went on a tirade about how that Katy Perry's not on the same moral compass as we are. We have Jesus Christ, who at the center, you know, is our center and our our moral compass. So for us to judge someone who's in the world and lost. And, and we know Katie, and she was a Christian, and that's a whole other story. And then her parents are pastors, and that's, you know, and I know that she knows the truth, and God's going to work in her life, and the word would not return void, and he who began a good work, and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, so, like, dude, what do you, so I'm looking around at my, my, the, my front of house guy, Charlie, who, who, who's not a Christian, and he's just out there, and I'm just, he's, his eyes are just like, what? is happening this guy is just going off on all the bad people in the world and i'm like what are you talking about that's like i, I that doesn't even i was i was irate so i just went you know i'm not saying like i'm like jesus and i just went after the religious people but i didn't really care about the you know the 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 myopic or tattoos you know what's your tattoo and is it christian all that kind of like cynicism that i was trapped in at first but eventually it just got to be like Dude, are you are you guys real Christians or you know not real Christians? Sorry, that's a bad word. How do I explain this? I just you know just religious. Are you just so in your religious bubble that you cannot see out because the rest of us we're living in the bars. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's our, that's our you know that's where we're at. So if we're truly the body of Christ, why don't you just empathize with the feet that are just in the mission field, like out there in the road, like doing some good, as opposed to your little you know little cluster of people and you feel safe in your bubble and don't let them in and it just it just was garbage and so um i was i was more pissed at just like the bigger picture just um the christianity than uh the the you know not not that you know it, yeah i i think we ran the full gambit but but you know it, it was just yeah it was it got bad for a little while there yeah but the more that we pulled away from the Christian music industry, the more ministry opportunities I got, man. It was, you know, just awesome to sit and and I could say their name because Pete once put it in an interview, but it was really cool to like be in the basement of a sold out show and 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 Fallout Boys like pushing the show back because me and, me and the guys are all having like Andy and Patrick and Pete are having this huge deep theological conversation of the existence of Jesus Christ and Josephus and all these you know like you know all these things pointing back and they were just like so we were all just so in it in a very positive very loving way it was never heated at any given second but we're just and they're just like no 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 we're not going on yet wait okay so but what if that's and it was mm -hmm. awesome but just knowing that like things like that another time where I came up with this you know, went on tour and the, the headlining band, this guy walked up and massive band, massive band. And this guy walked up to me and was like, are you Stephen Christian? I've never met him my whole life. And he's like, are you Stephen Christian? I was like, yeah. And he's like, I just got off cocaine last week and you're gonna make sure that I'm off it for the rest of the tour. I know about you, I heard about you. And then he just walks off and I was like, guess I have an accountability partner. <laughs> so, so, you know, and it, but, but I don't think those doors would have been able to be opened if it wasn't for obviously Jesus Christ. And then obviously like that, we just chose a different path because like our reputation, you know, our reputation, because we were, we're good, like regardless of where people pro profess, like they're great dudes in this band, you know, they run the gambit of, yeah. of where their faith is and each one would have to speak for themselves. So I'm not gonna speak for any one of them, but 
Um, just incredible dudes, you know, like just just loving, very genuine, you know, unbelievable men. So um, all that to say, just just proud of them and, and awesome that that God allowed me to be the feet where. You know, because at the time, early on, there's a band that you and I both know that refused to play anywhere that alcohol was served. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He was just <laughs> like, listen, mom, we got to leave this wedding. I'm telling you right now, cannot be here at this wedding. You know, too much wine. I cannot be at the, you know, I'm out. You know, you know, I'll be outside uh, because with picketing, your wedding. You know, I'll be outside. And so I, it always just perplexed me just like, just perplexed me that, that that Christians would come up with these crazy rules about where they are and are not going to play and perform and all this stuff. So yeah, and you, so you saw it. You saw. Sounds like a lot of the. Uh, I mean, that's pretty hilarious that you had a guy who was that dissatisfied. He was ready to vocalize his disappointment immediately right after you finish your set. He's got his critique ready. Yeah. Um, He's ready. Yeah. So you. Yeah, and we got we got that a lot. You know, we got that. You know, where people would write us and. And just be like, you know that demons are in that venue that you're playing, and I'm like, okay, I'm sh- thank you, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for that p- p- piece of information, you know. And that's okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, my manager, for, and I don't, okay, never mind, I won't say who it is. So somebody that I know once wrote a letter to Mike Herrera saying, like, I'm, you know, I, I just wish you were a better Christian. I can't believe, you know, you smoke cigarettes, and you know, where are you with Jesus? And you know. <laughs> It's just, we all go through that phase of life where we're just like pointing out someone like, I know your eternity lasts because of some, you know, manifestation here on earth. So, you know, we just, we, so who knows, man, we all, we've, we've been there. We've done that. I'm sure that, I I mean, I, I've, I've, I've made, uh, I've, I've chosen hills to die on that. Now I look back and I'm like, dude, those were not even molehills. Those were, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so much greater out there. Of course. So. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't always add to the solution. That's what I'm trying right. to say. You, you're like all of us that continue to follow Jesus on the journey of maturity and right. spiritual formation. Um, right. But you know, it's real interesting. fast. One, one last story. One last story. Real fast. There was once this band, and um, I wrote them a letter because they kept using this the symbol of Genesis in Genesis of the devil. They they, they would wrap this giant snake around their shoulders. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> evil. Just, just who do you think tempted Eve? Oh, and man, this, it took me so never... long. I was like, what, who, what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, the reason I was saying, it's funny that you, you know, you mentioned that. I, I remember being, you know, I was, I was a youth group kid and I was from Southern Baptist conservative environment and honestly was ignorant and naive, uh, I made these assessments of people because this is the information that was given to me, the stories that I was led to believe. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, this guy smokes a cigarette. I guess he's not a Christian and not even in like a vindictive mean spirited kind of way. I uh, honestly um, was young and foolish and, and hopefully, you know, as we grow and mature in the process of spiritual formation, we learn more about ourselves in the world. And, but you know, you, you, this, you bring up two different people and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here, but I was actually just recently listening to uh, an interview with my career as, and he's describing those exact same stories about like, you know, I had to hide my cigarettes from, cause I didn't want to disappoint these kids that were going to be, Oh my God, he smokes. I can't believe this. Um, so he is, he has a lot of these same stories that you have, that I have of dealing with the ridiculousness of um, kind of cultural Christian expectations. Um, and, he got to a point in his life where now he would say in his own words that he is not a Christian, does not follow Jesus, and um, and has made a conscious decision to distance himself from that part of his life. Doesn't know exactly what he thinks yet, hasn't settled on something. Um, and here you are, and that's not, you know, how you would describe uh, where you are. You know, you, ha- you have the faith that you had. Um, even though it's been, um, it's going through the process of spiritual formation, you know, like you said, you've learned different things that you would or wouldn't die on, that that kind of thing. You have had experience with cynicism and everything. Um, you have very good reasons to have deconstructed and bailed if you wanted to. You saw the hypocrisy firsthand. Uh, you saw the, uh, the kind of commodification of the Christian product. 
um, through the music industry and you saw hypocrisy and you've seen other people who are good, kind, um, intelligent people who have decided not to follow Jesus anymore. Um, so if someone were to come up to you, maybe even like in a church context, pastorally, and we're like, I've got these same things in my story as you and I want to bail, you didn't bail. Um, what does it come down to for you? What's your silver bullet? How did you, how did you make it? How did you survive the, the, in, the industry, the machine, the culture? Yeah. So everything that you've just said, like everything, 100% of what you just said has everything to do with humans and nothing to do with God. And if you are looking to find Christ through me, you are going to be absolutely disappointed. I'm going to burn you. I mean, I, I've told this to my congregation, like, I am going to burn you. I, at some point, am going to hurt you. There's going to be some type of something I'm going to do, a decision I'm going to make, something I'm going to say from the pulpit, something. There's going to be a moment where you're just kind of like, that hurts me. That's not what I believe Jesus Christ would align with. Uh, that's just going to happen. That's inevitable. I'm I'm flawed. I'm feeble. I'm just a mere mortal. Um, but the, but if you want to find God, then I would say try Jesus. And if as long as you stick to that and you stick just to like the just the the firm foundation in which His teachings represent are um, His beyond altruism, his his unconditional love, his, you know, like everything inside of Jesus, everything that he did in his life is absolutely antithesis to any religion that I would create. You know, if, I, if you're asking me, Josh, to create a religion, it's going to look gnarly. You know what I'm saying? It's going to, it's going to be the most humanistic thing that you have ever seen. Um, and so, the antithesis is, is Jesus Christ, like, given it shall be given. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. If somebody asks you to walk one mile, walk two. I mean, he's just continually giving you, like, I mean, I mean, I wish there was a better word for it in the English language, but it just boils down to love. Just love everyone else. Like, it's everyone else before you. It is, you know, and so, I, you know, if somebody's just trying to, you know, choose to opt out of, of God because of humanity, I would just say, man, that's, then that's not Christianity. That's not following the way. That's, that's just basically you have sought humans as your God because if they failed you and then you say, I don't believe, are you, then it's more, you stop believing in them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's not, it, it, should be a, it should be a vertical, not a horizontal relationship. It's gotta be like, it's just you and God. We have knocked out priests and said, listen, you don't need confession anymore for penance. It's just you and God. Like, even you, you don't even need animal sacrifices. Jesus did all that, he paid that. So you're just now talking straight to God, just straight to Jesus. And so I would just ask them to reconsider, reconsider following Jesus and not following religion, not following American culture of Christianity, um, just follow the way, you know? And, and that would be where I would ask them to restart the thinking. You know, pretend you didn't live in America in 2022. You know, if you're a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, I want you to take yourself out of that and put yourself into like, how would your faith look in, you know, in the 1100 when you're living in, in Africa? Like, what is that faith? What is the eternal, what is that, what is that string? What is that line that would, that crosses time, space, continuum, culture, you know, ethnicity, socioeconomical class, what is that? Whatever that is, that's what I'm asking you to, to believe or not believe in, you know? And so, but, but just looking around at like, oh, I don't like how this church is doing that. Or, you know, Jesus didn't ask us to worship him using songs, so I can't, you know, or Jesus didn't ask us to use instrument in church, so I'm not gonna use instruments. All that stuff, just all that's just, you're just looking at now. I'm asking you to look at the eternal from the past to the future to the present. And, and then re, and reassess your belief in that God, not into fallen mankind, because I don't care if you're the Pope or Billy Graham or anybody else, anybody ascribes as being a reverend or holy person, they're going to let you down. Death to Deconstruction by Joshua S. Porter is out now. Next week, I'm having a conversation with my friend Jaron Oda about young adult angst college professors and YouTube videos. And it was very lonely because, you know, I, I allowed a lot of people uh, that that I could relate to um, being from Hawaii and then being in a primarily white space and then being around a lot of island kids who are either down to party and just ready to go for it 
and were a bunch of kids that I didn't necessarily grow up grow up around to in, in the islands. So I felt kind of alienated in community on all sides while I was starting to ask these big questions and feel um, these big emotions towards God and towards being, um, why don't you, it, it, it's almost like this, God, why weren't you defending yourself in that classroom? You made me look like an idiot. If you want to do me a favor and support both myself and the book, here's how you can do that. Buy a copy of Death to Deconstruction or buy a copy for a friend you think might like to read it. Tell other people about the book by posting about it on social media. Leave the book a good review on Amazon.com. Follow along with the Death to Deconstruction podcast and leave it a good review on the Apple Podcast app. And follow along on social media to see what happens next.